we are in Acts chapter 28. <clears throat> After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us an unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, but it be, because it began to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had disease also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Petoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the, lo the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done uh, nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you, but... We desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by, by what he said, but others disbelieved. 
and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I want to preach to you this morning on this passage under the theme, The Mission Can't Be Stopped. Let's pray and ask God for his help. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the book of Acts. We ask, God, that you would help us as we study this word, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us and show us that the mission of the church goes forward unhindered because it's powered by you. We ask, God, that we would then be strengthened in our own evangelism, in our own uh, church ministry, in our own life. God, I pray that you would help me preach this morning. Help me communicate with clarity your word, not mine. I pray that your people would have ears to hear, would have eyes to see, would have hearts that understand. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Back in the day, I was a Hulk Hogan fan. Were there any other Hulk Hogan fans back in the day? He ended up being racist. So that sucks. Um, But uh, he was like the the golden child, you know, of like the old WWF before they became the WWE. And and I was a big Hulk Hogan fan. And I remember the day in 1991 when The Undertaker beat the Hulk Hogan, or Hulk Hogan. And uh, the rumor was that he killed him, actually. That was the rumor on, on my block. Um, and it, you know, you had to like live in the 80s and early 90s to understand how profound it was that The Undertaker became the champion in the WWF uh, and beat, beat Hulk Hogan. I remember some time later, you could, because I, I thought it was all real, you know what I'm saying? Like I thought it was like, they were like, I thought Hulk Hogan actually almost died. And um, sometime later I found out that it was scripted. I was like, what? Uh, and it's not to say that in the WWE today that the bruises aren't real or that the jumps aren't real. I mean, like, you got some serious acrobatic moves, like some of the best athletes in the world on that stage. But it's all scripted, meaning the, the victor is predetermined. And uh, they, they hire professional writers. You can read about this. They hire professional writers to kind of write, write out the plot of what's going to go on that season and happen. So somebody determined that Hulk Hogan would win a lot 
and that The Undertaker at some point would defeat Hulk Hogan. I remember as a kid when I discovered that it was scripted, I remember thinking, that's unfair. Like, if I was going up against Hulk Hogan, that would be rather miserable because uh, I'm going to lose. Like, I have no hope. It's all kind of rigged, right? If I was the devil, I think I would feel that about the book of Acts and the mission of the church. Um, We read through Acts. We're in our last chapter of Acts today. And we read through it, and we just realize, like, it's almost as if the game is rigged. It's just so unfair. We are victors. Like, we've all, it's already been written. We're going to win. And what you see in Acts, and what I think, I think one of the reasons Luke wrote Acts is just, just to show how the devil comes with his strategies over and over and over from chapter 1 through chapter 28, and over and over and over, we just see how God is the victor. And the mission can't be stopped. It goes forward unhindered. Uh, Matthew 28, let me define what the mission is. Matthew 28, Jesus gave us the mission. He said to the church, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. All right, That's the mission of the church. So when we talk about the mission today, we're talking about the disciple-making mission of uh, preaching the gospel, seeing people get saved, and then helping them to grow as a citizen of the kingdom of God in the church, seeing churches formed, and eventually one day waiting and seeing Christ return. Uh, That'll be the culmination of our mission. But the mission that every Christian is given, because every Christian is part of a local church, and this is the mission of the church, is to make disciples. And it's not ever going to stop. Think about this. It will never stop until Jesus returns. Why? It's because Acts 1.8, God's power is behind it. So in Acts 1.8, the church is told to go, but wait. Why, did the, why were they called to wait? Do you remember this? This is our first sermon in Acts. They were called to wait because they didn't yet have the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, God says, I'm going to send the Spirit, and He's going to give you power to testify about Jesus uh, to the Jews, and then uh, in Jerusalem, and then to Judea, and then to Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. So since the power for the mission is the power of God, then the church's mission is going to be accomplished. Like, we will be triumphant. Let me look at Acts 28 as we summarize this whole book in this one chapter. And what we see here is this big, broad reminder that the church will be triumphant. How? How will the church be triumphant? Let me give you two ways that I see it in chapter 28. We're going to break it down for the next couple minutes. Number one, the first way that the church is triumphant, number one, is because of God's sovereign power over all. God has sovereign power over all, and we're going to break that down in and of itself in just a sec. But secondly, we see God's salvation offered to all. Let me break these down. Number one, 
God's sovereign power over all. The first place we see in Acts chapter 28, God's sovereign power over all, is in God's preservation of life. He preserves Paul's life. We saw this in chapter 27 in great detail. As Paul was out to sea, shipwrecked, God miraculously brought him through, saved Paul and all 276 people on board ship. And now Paul gets to this island called Malta. And the natives there on the island show them uh, uh, unusual kindness, we're told. And that they build them a fire to warm them, warm them up because it's raining. And they're sitting around this cozy little fire, and Paul picks up a bundle of sticks, and he's carrying the sticks to the fire, and a viper jumps out of the sticks and clings to Paul's hand. Now, when the natives see this happen, they assume that justice is at work. Now, they're personifying justice here. Justice was considered to be a god, uh, the child of Zeus and Themis. And so they believe that justice is coming after Paul. He survived the shipwreck, but death through justice is not going to let Paul get away with whatever Paul did. Kind of like the movie Final Destination, but with a little bit of a, uh, a Greek mythology twist to it. Surprisingly, however, Paul doesn't die. God's power is seen in the preservation of life. He doesn't swell up. He doesn't fall over dead. And so the, the natives go from believing that Paul was a criminal to now believing that Paul must be a god. And for the next three months, Paul lives with them, and he heals many people. He starts by healing the father of the chief on the island, and then the sick come to him, the diseased, and Paul is healing all kinds of people on Malta before they leave. They eventually get on another ship, because the first ship is wrecked. They get on a new ship. And it says in verse 11 that this ship is, is decorated with the twin gods as a figurehead. Those are the Greek gods, Castor and Pollux, which was considered to give, uh, believed to give sailors safety at sea. And I think Luke just adds that detail as a reminder for us as to who really gives safety at sea. You know, these false gods give great hope to uh, the sailors. But we know, and Paul knows, that there is only one God that preserves life. There is only one God that has power, this kind of power, and that is the true God that Paul worships. This whole opener of Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 11, just reminds us of God's extraordinary power through the whole book of Acts. Miracles all through Acts, which confirm that the apostles' message is the true message of God. God intervenes in the ordinary uh, circumstances of life to show us that Jesus is indeed the Christ. It also reminds us that while God doesn't always preserve the life of a Christian, that he can and will if he still has work for you. Meaning, I don't know, your mission on earth may be accomplished and you might die tonight. It might happen. And God will help you home. 
But if God still has work for you, if your mission on earth is not yet accomplished, you will likely go through some near-death experiences that God will bring you through. He won't let death touch you one day before he's ready. So God has the power to preserve life. Well, now that leads me to the second place that we see God's power in Acts. The biggest miracle in Acts isn't vi- the viper case or healing diseases or even, even the resurrection of young Eutychus who falls out the window. But the mi- biggest miracle in Acts is the conversion of sinners. And so where do I see that in Acts chapter 28? Well, I see it in Paul. Paul himself was a miracle. Paul himself was the greatest enemy of God, and Jesus met Paul on that Damascus road, and the scales fall off his eyes, the dungeon flames with light, the chains fall off, his heart is free, and he goes forth, and he follows Jesus. The greatest miracle of all is the conversion of sinners. You know, too often uh, today I hear Christians say, why don't we still see miracles today like they did in Acts? And that's a fine question to explore and ask, but sometimes I think the question is wrong-headed. Meaning, we're often looking for more than what we've already received in our salvation. And we don't therefore cherish the forgiveness of sins, and recognize that that is the greatest miracle that anybody has ever experienced. Meaning, in the book of Acts, external miracles are always signs of the greater internal miracle that is happening, and that is the miracle of regeneration. Charles Spurgeon, commenting on a fairly ordinary conversion story, wrote this next to that story. He said, another wonder of God's grace. Oh, that we would see every single conversion story a wonder of God's grace. Oh, that we would see every single testimony whenever somebody stands up here and they talk about how God saved them and then we baptize them, that we would see that that is a miracle. That that right there is greater than a limb being restored back to life or than a broken neck on a dead boy being fixed and the dead boy comes back. Like we just saw a spiritual renewal, conversion, transformation, the forgiveness of sins, the greatest miracle of all. Jesus said in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Let me just put it this way. May the angels not outdo us in our rejoicing when one sinner repents. Amen? Thirdly, the third place we see God's power in Acts chapter 28 is in the formation of churches. God forms churches. So as Paul arrives in Rome in verses 11 through 14, he goes from Malta to Regium, and then he docks about 130 miles south of Rome. Now they have to go through this long trek through the woods to get to Rome. While they're on the road, Paul is met by the church in Rome. So they travel 30 miles uh, from Rome to meet Paul. 
and, uh, and, and they, they know him already. Like Paul has already written the book of Romans. That's where we're going to go next in a couple weeks. Romans was already written. And you might remember if you've read Romans, Paul ends it by saying, I hope to visit you soon. Yeah. Well, that was Paul's plan. However, Paul never made it to Rome on his own. Why? Because he was arrested in Jerusalem a couple years before this. And so now in kind of a strange way, Paul actually makes it to Rome. And they are so excited to meet this well-known evangelist. His book has been written, his letter has been written to Romans. I'm sure it was received as scripture. It was probably memorized and it was distributed. And they were probably using it in their preaching, in their worship. And so they travel to meet him. Um, they, they come to this town called uh, the Three Taverns in the Forum of Appius in verse 15. The historian Horace describes the Forum of Appius as a town with, with boatmen and stingy tavern keepers. So we could sort of imagine this dark seaside, smelly fish kind of town with angry fishermen and uh, uh, greedy tavern owners, it's not necessarily the most welcoming place. But there in verse 15, right there in that cold town, are the warmest words. The last part of 15, it says, on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Paul takes courage when he sees the church. Uh, yet another aspect of God's power in Acts is the formation of churches. What verse 15 tells us is that the church in Rome was a real church with real people and real faces, many of whom Paul knew, all of whom Paul loved. One of the greatest acts that we see of God in the book of Acts is the formation of churches. Do you know that only God can create a church? I mean, yes, he uses man in the process. He'll use a church planter, we'll call him, and a church uh, planting team. But, but, but only God can create a church. And that's because only God can convert sinners and bring them together as a church. Isn't it interesting, through the book of Acts, how important Christian community actually is? Throughout the book of Acts, we don't see God just saving a person to follow Jesus individually, to learn the Bible individually, to worship God individually. But they always come together and get connected, flesh and blood, in these families that we call local churches. It's so incredibly important to know that we're saved, yes, individually, for community. Groups matter. And that's because relationships matter. And relationships matter because unity matters. And unity matters because God is three in one. God is one, yet three. We are created for unity in community. And so God forms churches. God's power through acts. The local church. The fourth place that we see God's power in Acts chapter 28 is in God's inversion of Satan's strategies. God's inversion of Satan's strategies. Inversion means to turn upside. 
or uh, to upend. What we see happen next is as Paul arrives in Rome, he immediately moves into evangelism. So in verse 17, he meets with the local leaders of the Jews. Now this is a different group of people than we see in verse 15. Verse 15 is the church. Now he's meeting with the local leaders of the Jews, likely the leaders of the synagogue in Rome. In verses 17 through 20 then, Paul defends himself. He says that he was charged by by the Jews in Jerusalem. He was turned over to the Roman officials and uh, they, they could not find a death penalty, uh, or they couldn't find him guilty of something deserving the death penalty. However, he says the Jews didn't agree with that, meaning if they sent me back to Jerusalem, I would have died. And so I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. And so he's explaining to the Jewish leaders how he got to Rome. In verse 20, he says, For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you, and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing these chains. Notice how he's connecting with the Jews. He's saying, I'm not against you. I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm not against Israel. As a matter of fact, I'm wearing these chains because of the hope of Israel. I'm with you. What I'm talking about is for you. It's for us as Jews. Now, the next two version is where I see the inversion. The next two verses, I'm sorry, is where I see the inversion of Satan's strategies. Look at, look at verse 21 and verse 22. He says, We have received no letters from Judea about you. This is the Jewish leaders talking. And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are. For... With regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Now, did you catch that? They said everywhere it is spoken against. Meaning, Christianity wasn't popular. Christianity wasn't in vogue. Christianity wasn't seen as something that was respectable. As a matter of fact, Christianity was seen as a a mere sect of Judaism, and it was spoken against. You see, the devil's strategy hasn't changed for 2,000 years. Still today, Christianity is more and more feeling not respectable, spoken against everywhere. Everybody today seems to be rejecting Christianity. Christianity is not for us. Christianity is not for you. People are deconstructing their faith. Sometimes that's an okay thing, depending on what, what you mean by that. But for a lot of people, that can mean they're giving up Christianity. Yeah. Christianity is seen as a thing of the past. Christianity won't survive the future. Young people are giving up Christianity. They're walking away from the church, we're told. The tides of culture are against us. And some people wonder, will Christianity, with our kind of old-fashioned views on sexuality and gender and some of these things, survive the tides of culture? Or will Christianity be washed away? As Christianity has so often in the past been embroiled in scandals or racism, injustice, 
we look back and we're like, well, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's all false. And it's just not going to go forward into the future. And so as a result, a lot of people speak against Christianity today. Like they did in Paul's day. But look at the text. So in verse 22, the second part of verse 22, they say, we desire to hear from you what your views are. For. Now that, that word for is a grounding word, which means the statement that comes after is the very reason they want to hear Paul. For. Christianity is spoken against. Meaning, because Christianity, precisely because Christianity is spoken against, we want to hear, Paul, what you have to say. Don't you see the inversion of Satan's strategies? They are piqued in their curiosity because Christianity is spoken against everywhere. Well, in Genesis, this goes all the way back. In Genesis... After Joseph uh, has been sold out by his brothers and all of the terrible things have happened to him, and all of a sudden we see at the end of the story that Joseph is being used by God to rescue uh, the, the whole known land as well as his own family through food distribution. Joseph says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Meaning, all throughout the Bible from Genesis all the way through Revelation, God is inverting Satan's strategies. He's upending them. What Satan means for evil, God turns it around and uses it for good. And we see that in Rome. Christianity is spoken against. It is unpopular. It is not cool. And that's Satan's strategy. And it piques their curiosity and it says some of them were convinced. They were saved. They heard the gospel. And they receive. And that's the same thing for today as well. There is no strategy that Satan can bring about today that will destroy the work of the church. God will continue to upend every single one of Satan's strategies. Are you with me? Yeah. Meaning Christianity is not outdated. You know, I, I have, just testimonially speaking, I have more conversations with young people, like I would say 25 and under, who are interested in the gospel, who are interested in Christ, who are interested in growing in the, in, in the gospel, than ever before. And we live in an, a, a time where we're told that young people aren't interested in these things. I, I, I have conversations with guys from the streets discussing God's sovereignty, with women who uh, have been abused by church leaders who are discussing God's beautiful design for, for sexuality or, or gender or understanding God as, as, as Father and what that means. Conversations with people who have been traumatized by injustice, studying God's hatred of ethnic prejudice. Conversations with people who are doing well in this world and, and coming to understand their total depravity and their need for the substitutionary atonement of Christ. My, my point is simply this, is that no strategy of Satan will conquer Christianity. And, and what he does works against him, because God will upend it and use it for his glory. Nothing will conquer Christianity because Christianity is the true faith. 
of the true God, and therefore the church will triumph. The second reason the church will triumph. So the first one is what I've been talking about. It's this broad, overarching God's power. God's power, uh, sovereign power overall. The second one is this, is God's saving pardon is offered to all. God's saving pardon is offered to all. And I'll be brief here. But what we see here as, as we close out Acts is that all people are offered the gospel. It's not just for a select few, as some might believe. Oh, only the good people can be offered the gospel of salvation. Christianity is just for the people that are nice or the people that are moral. No, no, no. But then you've got other people who are like, well, I'm, I'm too far beyond salvation. Salvation is hopeless because I'm bad. You see, Acts comes along and Paul comes along, the gospel comes along, It says Christianity, or the gospel of Jesus Christ, how you can be saved through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because Jesus died on the cross for your sins, took the judgment of God, the wrath of God for your sins, paid it all, buried three days later, rose from the dead, defeated sin, defeated the grave, defeated death, then therefore defeated your sin, accomplished your redemption, And those who turn from their sins trust in Jesus like this is for you. And you are a recipient of it. The gospel comes along and says this is for all who will listen. For anybody. For people who are morally good in this world, but also for the bad. Jesus came to save bad people. There is nobody in this room that is too bad for Jesus to save. And that's what we see here. As, as Acts closes, Luke highlights this moment in which Paul sits with these religious leaders, these Jewish leaders. Some are converted in verse 24. And then he quotes Isaiah in verse 26 and 27. Let me read what he says. He quotes Isaiah, who says, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. That grown dull there literally means it's grown fat or thick, meaning it's in total cardiac arrest. Their heart is not working. With their ears, they can barely hear. With their eyes, they have closed, meaning they have no spiritual senses. They are utterly hopeless. And it goes on in verse 27, he says, lest, meaning their senses have been dulled to prevent them from what comes next. Lest they should see with their eye, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. This is like God's active judgment on those who reject him. That they have no hope. They're double blind. They're double dead. Now, as as Paul is quoting this to to these Jewish leaders, he's not saying that they're beyond hope. As a matter of fact, some of them just got saved. Um, So what's he saying? What he's saying is this. he's He's saying Israel today is in a bad spot. Like you think you've progressed so far, you religious leaders. You think you're on the side of Isaiah, but you're actually on the side of those who opposed 
Yahweh and Isaiah during Isaiah's time. You are like the Israel of old. He's saying this as a warning to them. Because why? Because they're rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting Christ. And then he goes on in verse 28. He says, therefore, let it be known to you. Meaning, here's hope. But, but then he, there's a little twist. That the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And they will listen. Well, now why is Luke kind of rounding out Acts with that? Because we've got to go all the way back to the beginning. Acts 1.8. He says, Jesus says that you're going to testify uh, to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. And one of the questions that Acts is answering the entire time is, how does the gospel get to the ends of the earth? How does the gospel get to the Gentiles? And this is where Acts closes, is the Gentiles are receiving the gospel. They're open to it. They're hearing. It's gone to Greece. It's gone to Italy. It's gone to Asia. It's gone to Africa. Eventually, it's going to go to Australia and, and, and Europe and the Americas. It's going to all of the world. But having said that, I think Paul is also speaking in such a way to make the Jews jealous for God, which is often one of God's tactics with the Jews. Meaning, they're listening. The Gentiles are listening. The Gentiles are receiving the gospel. And it comes back with this implicit question, Israel. Will you? Will you hear? Some are saved, like I said right there in verse 24. We close seeing this. Number one, that, that uh, Jesus is the hope of Israel. Verse 20. And also, Jesus is the hope of the Gentiles. Verse 28. A.K.A. Jesus is the hope of all people. Acts ends open-ended. The gospel has gone to all people. And the question that they're left with and that we're really all left with is, is will you believe? Will you believe? The gospel is the hope of the Gentiles, the hope of the Jews, the hope of those who reject God. It's still your only hope. Will you believe in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world? The church will be triumphant. Now, what does this experience feel like? Meaning, I could just close right now and say the church will be triumphant. Yay. And then you go about your day. You go home and got to figure out what to eat. Got that pile of laundry to do. You tell yourself, it's the Lord's day. I'm not going to do the laundry on the Lord's day. That's for tomorrow. Great choice, by the way. Um, but life feels very ordinary. It doesn't feel triumphant. So, so as we kind of round out here, I want to ask, what does this extraordinary triumph actually feel like? Well, I want to offer this thought that it feels very ordinary. It feels very ordinary. Let me, let me close with this. Just simply the ordinary experience of the extraordinary triumph. 
And I see this in the last two verses of Acts. So in verse 30 and 31, what we see is Paul's ordinary experience of this extraordinary triumph. Look at verse 30 and 31. It says, he lived there for two whole years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Three lessons on the, ex- uh, on the ordinary experience of this extraordinary triumph. Three lessons for us as we close. Number one, be content with where the Lord has you. This isn't how Paul imagined himself coming to Rome. But this is God's design for Paul coming to Rome. Like your life right now might not look how you thought it would look. It might not be as triumphant as you thought it would look. It might not feel as exciting as you thought your life should be feeling. It might, you might have some problems, some, some chains, if you would, on your hands. Be content with where the Lord has you. Never once do we see Paul sitting back saying, this isn't how I was supposed to get to Rome. I was supposed to be able to be there and preach in the church on Sunday and hang out and go to visit all the... He just, Paul was content. He's content with where the Lord has him. Be content with where God has you, church, and just see the opportunities that God, God has given you. What if Paul missed the two years of opportunities because he was waiting for his release? Now, contentment and see the opportunities. Amen? Second, second lesson is be hospitable to all who come. So for two years, Paul rents out a house with his own income. Likely he's not making any money, uh, so he's likely surviving off of the support of the church, paying his own rent, in chains, in house arrest, if you would. And it says he welcomes all who comes. He doesn't turn anybody away. If somebody wants to spend time with him, he gives them the time. If, they want, if they, uh, they're willing to hear the gospel, they're willing to be taught, they're willing to know about Jesus. Be hospitable to all who want to hear about Jesus or grow in Jesus. And you have something to offer them. So contentment plus regular, ordinary I would say gospel-centered, discipleship-oriented hospitality. Are you with me? And then the third thing I see is to preach to all who will listen. We might have an idea of who we want to preach to, but I say preach to all who will listen. Paul takes time to share the gospel with anybody who comes. Jews, Gentiles, young and old, Christian, non-Christian, anybody who comes, if they will listen, Paul will take time to explain the good news. And I think this is important for us because sometimes we can focus on a particular people group. Some focus on youth. Some focus on the elderly. Some focus on their own ethnicity. Some focus on the homeless. But Paul would just preach the gospel to anybody who would listen. Jew, Gentile, Christian, non-Christian, young, or old. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a focus. I think it's okay to have a certain passion for a certain people group. But all I'm saying is this, is let's never limit 
what God is going to do in somebody's life because they are not part of the people group that I feel called to serve. Why is the church triumphant? Answer, it's because God is triumphant. And because God is the hero of Acts. Therefore, the church is on this unstoppable mission. All through Acts, what do we see? We see, we see Satan's attack, Satan's strategies, and then God's power upending it. All through Acts. Can I take you through the book? In chapter 1, though the Christians are few in number, God promises to send the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2, though Christians are powerless, the Spirit comes and fills the church with power. In chapter 3, Though Peter is a mere man, God converts people through Peter's preaching. In chapter 4, though Peter and John are arrested, God grants them the boldness to say, we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. In chapter 5, though Ananias and Sapphira are hypocrites, the church will continue to grow as a pure community as God excommunicates them through their death. In chapter 6, though divisions enter the church, God gives deacons to serve the physical needs of the church. In chapter 7, though one deacon, Stephen, is killed, and a man named Saul oversees his death, the gospel is still preached with Stephen's dying words. In chapter 8, Though persecution happens in Jerusalem, Christianity spreads all over the known world and an Ethiopian eunuch receives Christ. In chapter 9, though Saul is God's worst enemy, God arrests Saul and Saul is converted. In chapter 10, though divisions exist between Jew and Gentile, God tells Peter to eat meat thus bringing down the cultural divide between Jew and Gentile. In chapter 11, though Paul once tried to destroy the church, a missionary church forms in Antioch, the biggest city of their day, and becomes the sending church for the Apostle Paul. In chapter 12, though Paul uh, or Peter is arrested by Herod, God rescues Peter from jail, and then he executes Herod for his pride. In chapter 13, though once divided and having no hope, God saves a bunch of Gentiles. In chapter 14, though Paul doesn't stay with each local church, God raises up elders who will lead and feed these local congregations. In chapter 15, though there is debate about Gentiles among the Jewish Christians, God shows the Gentiles that they are recipients of the same salvation. In chapter 16, though there are few Christians in Philippi, God converts a woman named Lydia, rescues Paul and Silas from jail, and then he converts the jailer and starts a church in Philippi. In chapter 17, though the Athenians worship many different idols, Paul preaches to the pagans at the Areopagus, and many believe. In chapter 18, Though Corinth is known for its sexual immorality, God forms a church there. In chapter 19, though a riot breaks out in Ephesus, 
a group of Gentiles there receive the Holy Spirit and the same sign the Jews received in Acts chapter 2 and God forms a church there. In chapter 20, though young Eutychus falls out the window, breaks his neck and dies, God raises him from the dead and all are amazed. In chapter 21, though Paul will receive violence in Jerusalem, Paul is committed to going because he knows that God, the God of Acts, is the God of all power. In chapter 22, though Paul is arrested in Jerusalem, he preaches the gospel there. Chapter 23, though there is a death plot against uh, uh, Paul in Jerusalem, God rescues Paul. In chapter 24, though Paul is in jail, Paul preaches to Felix. In chapter 25, though Paul is in jail for two years, just left there by Felix, Paul gets to preach to Festus. In chapter 26, though Paul is still a victim of injustice, Paul preaches now to King Agrippa and seeks to persuade him to become a Christian. In chapter 27, though Paul is in a terrible shipwreck, God rescues Paul because he still has work for him to do. And in chapter 28, though Paul is bit by a viper and then he's in house arrest for two years, God brings Paul sovereignly to Rome where he will preach unhindered to the greatest authority in the land. The Bible says, if God is for me, then who can be against me? And Jesus said, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. If God did all of that in Acts, if He did all of that in Acts, what conflict today is going to stop God's work through the church? Shall COVID-19? Shall racism? Shall perversion of Christian leaders? Shall scandalous behavior of so-called pastors stop God's work? What conflict today do we have that wasn't dealt with and displayed in Acts? God's power over all. Shall scandalous behavior, shall persecution, shall jail, shall snake bites, shall wrongful arrests? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, nothing shall separate us from the love of the Lord. And church, this kind of unstoppable mission is good news for you. Let me tell you why. Because without the preservation of individual Christians, there is no preservation of the church. The church is not some mythical body that exists without people. No, we are people. Like We need to preserve our own faith in order for the church to be unstoppable in the church's mission. Well, this is good news for you because if the church is unstoppable, that means God is doing a work in you to keep you. Pastor John Piper, he, he preached a couple years ago and he said, um, in his sermon he said, uh, he was talking about how, how God has preserved his life for so many years, his Christian life, preserved him in his faith. And he asks this question, he says, what kind of power does it take for God to keep you a Christian? And he said, the answer 
is the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead. And he will do it. And he will do it. Therefore, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things future, nor, nor, nor anything else in all of creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God. God's power will keep you in Christ. Thus, God will keep us on the mission church. As Acts closes, how does it close? It shows us that nothing is going to stop the mission. It goes forward unhindered. It's almost as if the game is rigged. It's almost as if it's not even fair. We've already won the victory. Until the whole world will see that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will continue to preach the gospel, making disciples until the whole world will know that the Redeemer has come. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son who yielded His life an atonement for sin and opened the floodgate that all might come in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is our hope. This is our hope. This is why we praise God. Because God is, a, is worthy to be praised. He is to receive the glory. And as we close Acts Church, let us not give the church glory. Let us not give the garden church glory. Let us just give God the glory. Amen? He's worthy of all glory, all power, all strength, all, everything that we have. He's worthy. Let's give it to Him. Amen? Father, we thank You that You are worthy. And we thank You, God, that You have included us in Your redemptive plan for the world. God, keep us in Christ as You have promised. And may our mission in this world of making disciples be unstoppable because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.